what? You have a podcast? Computer. Show the historical documents. Really? Donald Trump and his allies and supporters are a clear and present danger to American democracy. Fighting fascism is a full-time job! Amazing It is not enough to cater to the nation's whims. You must also serve the nation's needs. As for the nominating process, the Democratic National Committee has adopted a new primary schedule, one that will dethrone Iowa and New Hampshire as the leadoff states in the Democrats' presidential nominating process. Under the new rules, South Carolina will go first, then Nevada and New Hampshire, followed by Georgia and Michigan. Hello and welcome to another episode of Recovery from Politics Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Frame, and today is Monday, February 6th, 2023. So like that opening quote was talking about, um, basically the DNC is trying to shift things away, and I have a reason for why it's kind of dumb. This kind of fits into that whole scenario where the left and Democrats just aren't fighting enough, and instead they're kind of conceding the lost. Now, if you're a Democrat, you should be angry about these new changes, not necessarily removing Ohio uh, or Iowa, excuse me, removing um, Iowa as the number one is fine because quite frankly, that's a red state anyway. Democrats don't usually win it. The problem I have is shifting over to South Carolina. South Carolina is being rewarded. Why? Probably because that was the state that was the bulwark against somebody like a Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or even a Pete Buttigieg from running. They wanted somebody safe and secure, and that was our now President Biden. And I'm not necessarily against him as a pick. You know, there, there's a lot of speculation of who could beat Trump in 2020 and whether or not Biden or any of the other members of the field could have done it. I'm I don't know. You can't predict some of these things. Um, and 2020 was a very odd time. We had an extremely unpopular president amidst a pandemic. I mean, any number of things could have happened. And quite frankly, one of the reasons a lot of Republicans bucked Trump's attempts to, you know, decertify the election or try to get election results changed was that a lot of Republicans are OK with Biden. They knew he's not a radical. He's not going to rock the boat. He's not going to change anything. They could live with him for four years. Whereas I'm pretty sure a lot of those same Republicans who fought tooth and nail to keep Trump off of uh, re-election uh, maybe would have been more susceptible to his attempts had it been somebody more radical to them like a Bernie Sanders. So... You know, given what we know now and everything else, it is quite possible 2020 was Biden or Trump again. Uh, and anyone else in the field would have been uh, rebuffed either by the voters or by Trump shenanigans falling on more okay ears, you know, more susceptible ears. Um, but I have this problem with South Carolina in general. Yes, it was the bulwark for Biden. And the left should be very mad about this. But the Democrats should also be kind of mad about this. I have this huge problem with putting so much weight into a primary state that in the general election, the Democrats are never going to win, right? So I did a little research. South Carolina, here we go. We're going to go all the way back. I went as far back as 1988. In 1988, 
Jesse Jackson won the nomination for president for Democratic Party in South Carolina. He was followed by, uh, in 1992, it was Clinton. In 2000, it was Gore. In 2004, it was John Edwards. In 08 and 12, it was Obama. And in 2016, it was Hillary Clinton. And in 2020, it was Biden, of course. So aside from John Edwards and Jesse Jackson, South Carolina's a pretty okay bellwether for who's eventually going to get the nomination of the party. Um, so that's, that's one thing. Also, you have to consider South Carolina was not first, right? So they didn't get bombarded with like two years worth of messaging and campaigning there. Uh, I really don't think the Democrats have thought this through. Whereas in Iowa, Iowa did have an infrastructure set up to where they knew, hey, we are the jumping off point for a lot of campaigns. So people like Buttigieg or Bernie Sanders in the last two elections could really go out and make an impact there. And it doesn't guarantee that they're going to be the nominee, but it does give the public an opportunity to find out who they are. Because if you win in a single state, if you're the guy who comes out on top, that gives name recognition to you. Remember, Bernie Sanders launched his 2016 campaign with Iowa. If he lost Iowa and then New Hampshire to Hillary, uh, people would have written him off and he probably would have closed down shop a lot sooner. But because in Iowa, he was able to pour a significant amount of resources there. He came out with some name recognition. All of a sudden, the rest of the country was like, whoa, 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 wait. Who is this Bernie guy, right? Now, that's great for us. That's great for the voter that something like that can happen where a more or less unknown can suddenly be thrust onto the national stage. And I think that's good for democracy because you don't want just the most popular person nationally to win because then you're running into what's going on. So South Carolina picks Biden. And outside of maybe Bernie Sanders, he had the most name recognition in the 2020 election for the Democratic Party. Um, and I have a problem with this because if South Carolina always seems to pick who eventually is the nominee, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to even give somebody like Bernie Sanders a chance in hell or even a Pete Buttigieg. Um, now, the DNC chair is spinning this as, oh, this is how we, you know, have some more diversity because there is the problem whereas in Iowa the majority of voters are white in South Carolina the majority of Democratic voters are black so there is that and I'm all for diversity but I'm afraid that in this situation I'm kind of against it because of the state's history I may be proven entirely wrong on this okay it, it might come out that South Carolina does a fantastic job at picking the legit most interesting candidate, you know, I mean, because we don't know what South Carolina is going to look like with two straight years of a candidate putting all their eggs into that basket, because you have to remember some of the smaller campaigns, if you don't have a lot of name recognition or money, you can't spend nationally. You have to go big or go home in the first state. So a lot of campaigns do that. Obama did it famously. I mean, he had some help. He did gain some name recognition. But proving that he could win in Iowa really opened the doors to everyone else. Now, even though South Carolina eventually went for Obama in 2008, there's no guarantee that they would have gone for him originally. 
Originally, what could have happened is Hillary might have won if South Carolina was the first state because she was the candidate with the most name recognition and the most money. And if she put all her eggs into one basket there, and if South Carolina, as some of the Biden people are like, oh, they're very practical and they want somebody who can win. Well, Obama sure shit was not that in 2008 at the beginning. He was an unknown. So if you apply that logic to it, Obama may never have received the nomination. He wouldn't have gotten that initial win out of the gate that propelled him forward to the presidency. He could have been the one coming up in second place, clawing and scraping to get anything done. So South Carolina is very possibly going to screw over Democrats a lot by not giving us a dynamic, more interesting candidate in favor of somebody we know which in this case is Joe Biden, who is guaranteed to win even if nobody challenges, you know, even if somebody challenges him. So, you know, I, I went ahead though, and my problem is, is that if you go through the history of how South Carolina votes, and let's just start with 2020. In 2020, Trump won South Carolina with 55% of the vote to Biden's 43 Okay, so then I went back. 2016, Trump won 54 to Hillary's 40. 2012, Romney won 55 to Obama's 44. 2008, McCain won 53 to Obama's 44. Bush in 04 won 58% to Kerry's 41. In 2000, Bush won 57% to Gore's 41. In 1996, Dole won 50%, Clinton got 44, and Perot got 5.5%. So you could argue that Dole was about to win 56% since, since the common rhetoric is that Perot stole from the Republican Party in those years. 92, pretty much same thing. Bush Sr. won 48%, Clinton won 40 Perot won 11%. 1988, Bush Sr. won the state 61% to Dukakis' 37 1984, Reagan won 63% to Mondale's 35. 1980, Reagan beat Carter 49.57% to Carter's 48.01%. Very close election. The last time South Carolina nominated a Democrat for president was in 1976 with Carter against Ford, 56 to 43%. And it should be noted, Ford was extremely unpopular at the times. So I went all the way back to find out when was the last time South Carolina rewarded Democrats with a vote? And this really pissed me off because I don't think they should be doing that. Meanwhile, you know, I think they should be instead banking on who the base of their party is. And the base of their party right now in the largest you know, reservoir of voters is in California or New York. And if you're curious, in 2020, California gave Biden 63% of the vote to Trump's 34. And New York did similarly 60% to 37 in favor of Biden. Now, those are the two everyone would consider the most left-leaning states, the most Democratic-heavy states. And I think those are the states that should be rewarded with the primary. Now, that would not work. This is why I say the leftists should hate this. If you are left, you should hate all of this. Because oh, Iowa, for all of its faults, had a reputation for picking who was not going to be the nominee, right? Outside of Obama, it very rarely picks the nominee. It picked, 
you know, and, and keep in mind, Obama was the like upstart there. He was the underdog going into that election. He did not have re- name recognition prior to Ohio, to Iowa. So, you know, you, you have Bernie in 2016. It was Buttigieg in 2020. Obama, obviously, back then, I mean, this was a state that had a thing for the small guy, the little guy who didn't necessarily have the name recognition or the national star power. And I think that that's very important to have in a functioning democracy. I don't like people just being given something. I don't even like it in my sports. Right now, the NFL has set up the postseason to give the number one seed the most favorable schedule, the most favorable every, like they have every advantage going into the postseason. Okay. It used to be at least the number one and two seed both got a bye week and they didn't have to play. Well, that's been done away with. So now your number one seed has the easiest pat has home field advantage, faces the weakest opposition at every point and gets a week off. Whereas every single other team in their conference has to play every week is not guaranteed and has to fight tougher competition all the way to them. So, you know, right now this year, the Super Bowl is going to be be between two number one seeds. And that I think is going to be the norm from this point on because they want to reward the regular season. And I get that. You know, I, I, I understand the point of view, but at the same time, I don't like you know, guaranteed sure things, making it all the time. I want the underdog to at least have a chance, you know? Uh, and, and right now we don't have that. We have a system where the underdog is being thrown out. And that is also specifically what's going on here. Remember South Carolina is being rewarded specifically because it stopped all the other Democrats from being possible and winning. Biden won South Carolina, so they're rewarding it. But again, South Carolina has not gone to a Democrat since the 70s. And not it's not even close, okay? Even Trump, a extremely unpopular president in 2020, got 55% of the vote in South Carolina. We're not talking like, oh, it's just neck and neck. And maybe, like I can understand if they both won like, 49.6 to 49.4% and it was just neck and neck and maybe that had happened a couple election cycles in a row and the Democrats are thinking, man, these Democrats are only beating us by a percentage point, by like one point. How can we possibly tip it in our favors? Oh, I know, let's have our primary there. So that way more Democratic money will go in and maybe it won't help, you know, the actual candidate, but if it, you know, with all that talk and everything else, it gets attention there and Democrats are paying attention to that state. And maybe that's the, the little oomph that we need to like get there. And, and then I could understand the strategy of this, but that's not the goal here. The goal is not to flip South Carolina and make it suddenly embrace democratic positions. The goal of this is to ensure that the candidate of choice, the presumptive nominee is always going to be the winner. If this was the way the state the states were set up, it's highly possible Hillary Clinton would have won the 2008 nomination for the Democratic Party. Obama never would have had a chance. It's not impossible, but I'm saying that this is the way that it is structured now. It is structured so that whoever has the most name recognition, whoever the super delegates promise, they get. 
And I think that's ultimately what it is. After 2008, the superdelegates in the Democratic Party, those are the people that are have no allegiance to any state or anything, and they can vote however the hell they want, and their vote matters more than yours. Well, the superdelegates in 2008 all went ahead and voted Hillary. Luckily, Obama came in and some of them switched their vote and it was a little different. In 2016, however, every single one of them came out on day one for Hillary. So right there, Bernie was fighting an uphill battle. After all the like bullshit that happened there in 2016, the Democrats had to change their system and they weakened the power of the superdelegates. This was intentional. And I think it was good. However, this move here is a way to give the power back to the superdelegates. So basically, the Democratic Party has structured this in such a way so that the people in the back room have more power than you do. But they're still hiding under the veneer of, oh no, really, we support democracy. Look, you can vote and it matters. But really what they're doing is they're giving more power to the person who has the money and has the name recognition. And so if you are a fan of the Democratic Party, you should be against this because I think ultimately this will create a weaker candidate. I think strong candidates are born from fire, just like legacies. Legacies always suck, right? Bush was worse than Bush Sr. And so on and so forth, right? Like there's a reason why JFK was the pinnacle of that family and everyone else has fallen off since then. If you're born rich, if you're born powerful, you do worse than the person who actually got you there. You do worse than the patriarch. Trump is another example. As fucked up as he is, his kids are worse than him. His dad is the one who started him on his projection, right? That is what got this going. And unfortunately, this is the same thing, but in political terms. It's, it's nepotism by a different strategy, by, by the form of politics. And that will not make strong candidates. Okay, imagine back in 2016, Jeb Bush was the front runner because he had the name recognition and he had all the money locked up. If he'd have been the presidential nominee and seriously go back and look at some of his speeches he gave, he would have been a really shit nominee, right? And, and Republicans are actually lucky he didn't get it. He was a terrible politician and not very good for the, for the national stage. You can kind of see the same thing happening with Ron DeSantis now. Everybody's hoping that he's the thing to kill Donald. I don't see it. The guy sucks. He has no charisma, no personality, no sense of humor. He's just cruel for the cruelty's sake. Now, MAGA's going to vote for that, but they're not going to go like gallivanting to the polls for him. They're going to do it because they're being spoon-fed. So if, if you're a fan of the Democratic Party, if you're a fan of democracy in general, you should hate this system. Now, for a long time, I've advocated that the first state should be a lottery that the order of the states should be a complete and total lottery. Again, most of them happening on what is called Super Tuesday, but I do think that having a few single states spaced out a few days apart is a good idea because, again, it gives those smaller campaigns, those smaller candidates, a chance to really focus on one spot and maybe get some name recognition, you know? Maybe in South Carolina or, or you know, before, maybe, you know, Iowa or New Hampshire, you could get somebody who just like, you know, I don't have the billions of dollars that Hillary does, but damn it, I can, I know I can make some headway if I go all in on this one state and it can propel me forward. And I think that's better for democracy. I don't think all the primaries should just happen because again, then you eliminate that and let's face it, whoever's the most popular is going to win. 
Um, so I think if, if nothing else can be happened, I would prefer a rotating, you know, let's change it every year. The state is completely random of all 50 states, uh, or every four years. And, and also once you've been selected first, you can't be first again until all the other 49 states have gone through. I think that is the most fair way to do it. Of course, they're never going to do that because that removes their ability to pull the levers in the way that you want. Um, again, and you know, even if you're not going to do that, the most fair, I think the best thing for the democratic party would be to reward their base for something, for anything. And their base clearly resides in either California or New York. Those should be your first two. You know, California is a very large state. Granted, it would cost a lot to go there and, and publicize there for the smaller campaigns, but you could get more candidates who actually, you know, have a serious fight. And maybe one of them carries the southern half of the state while another one carries the north. And you could really create some some diverse candidates with different messages and different meanings. This this sucks. I don't like it. I especially don't like that it's going into effect now. I would prefer that if they're going to do this, it should happen after Biden's out. Because this is so obviously, a, you know, they're rewarding, you know, Biden is rewarding South Carolina for giving him the presidency. And I hate that. That is, that should not be the case. Even if they are the case, I think that they should say, or at least make the rule, at a bare minimum, make the rule that you can't change the fucking map while the incumbent is in office. You can't change it until 2028 when Biden is not going to be a candidate again. You know, Th then you could, okay, fine. But, but changing it now seems to favor Biden so much that even the idea of a primary challenge, it's like they almost knew, hey, I'm going to be old as fuck going into the next election. How do I keep the young people from attacking me? Aha, we'll rig it. And this is the best way they can they can go about rigging it. And I absolutely hate it for that reason. Um, yeah. <sighs> Democrats, are. I think they're really screwing themselves um, nationally. It helps their party, no doubt, because now they get more control. There's less chance of an upstart like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren getting in there. There's even less chance for Barack Obama getting in there. It's all going to be very American-sounding white names to propel them forward from here on out. That's why they went this way. They did not go this way to diversify the voting base. They did this because South Carolina, they've seen historically, is easier to get to go along with what their preconceived notion is. So... I'm against it. I think it's bad for them. I think the voters, as stupid as they are, we also hate being spoon-fed things. Uh, that was one of the big gripes against Hillary. Oh, she's already measuring the drape. She just takes it as a guaranteed advantage. Like, that's a huge turnoff to people. When when you see somebody who just walks into the to an elected office like they're entitled to it. Like, that is a huge turnoff. Nobody likes that shit. No one. Uh, it, it doesn't matter which political party you're on. So I think this is going to bite them because year after year, Democrats are going to be whoever the fuck they want it to be. The voters are going to be very nonplussed by it. They're going to feel like their candidate was cheated. You're basically setting up a situation where every year is going to be, you're going to have that Bernie Sanders like candidate off to the left who's sitting there and the entire left is like, what the fuck are you doing? We're not going to vote for you this time. You know, Bernie voters, 
They didn't switch parties. They just stayed home. Okay? You know who did switch parties? Hillary voters in 2008. Hillary voters voted McCain. They did not stick with the party. So, uh, this is... This is one of those things. I I really hate it. Um, it's I think it's gonna backfire hardcore. Um, I don't I don't I don't care how they dress up and put lipstick on this pig. It is it is not going to work well for them. Anyway, uh, thank you very much for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Congratulations, you made it to the end of the show. Thank you very much for listening. I would just like to remind everybody that this show is not monetized. I don't have commercials. I don't ask for any commercials. Uh, if Facebook's got one of those buttons that says, you can reach 500 more people if you pay us $10, I always click no. Uh, there's absolutely no money going into this. This is free software. I use Audacity and a few other things. Um, and it's a one-man show. It's just me. So the way to support the show and make sure that it gets out there is strictly through you guys. Like, subscribe, share, leave a comment, write an email, uh, like us on Twitter and all those things. So thank you very much for listening. Have a good day. To feed a person on an all-plant-based vegan diet for a year requires just one-sixth of an acre of land. To feed that same person on a vegetarian diet that includes eggs and dairy requires three times as much land. To feed an average U.S. citizen's high-consumption diet of meat, dairy, and eggs requires 18 times as much land. This is because you can produce 37,000 pounds of vegetables on one and a half acres, but only 375 pounds of meat on that same plot of land.